Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Side to side, my senses slide, avoiding my commands. One by one, they come undone, I fall into your Um, hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. Uh, this is RJ. I'm here with Brad and Jonathan, and we're here with Tom Marshall, who uh, has graciously agreed to to appear and and um, kind of walk us through a, a lot of um, questions that that we have for him. And he's going to enlighten us with all kinds of awesome stories and knowledge and, and background. I met Tom at the Man shows in June of this year, late June, and um, we started talking. And it turns out that Tom had an awesome. Uh, podcast idea in the works which will be launching in the in the coming weeks when you hear this it's called under the scales and um, it's a really awesome project and we've been we've been sort of chatting with tom behind the scenes about it but 
just want to introduce Tom and, and have him talk a little bit about this this venture that he's undertaking. Hey everyone, this is RJ. I just wanted to interject quickly before uh, Tom talks about Under the Scales. When we recorded this, um, you heard me say that, that Under the Scales would be coming in the coming weeks. Um, we didn't know exactly when it would come out at that point. That was in early September, but just so everyone knows, it will be coming out on Monday, November 7th. So three days after you hear this, you'll be able to listen to Under the Scales. Throw it back to the recording so you can hear Tom describe the project. Hey guys, well, uh, first of all, hi Brad, I haven't met you yet, but I've met Jonathan and uh, obviously RJ. How you yeah, doing? Yeah, thanks Tom. Oh, so happy to be here, and yeah, I was going to say it's me that should be thanking you. You guys have been uh, extremely helpful in a new guy trying to get a podcast off the ground, and uh, I'm really excited about it, but uh, I'm more than happy to come on yours after all the help you guys have given me. They're, they're going to be complimentary, and I think that's that's really exciting. I think it's important to, yeah, like for the record, like right now, let's just establish a, a treaty of, of uh, cooperation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. I ain't signing shit. <laughs> He's a, Brad, Brad's a lawyer. He, he knows better. Well, Tom, can you tell us a little bit about Under the Scales, sort of the inspiration, what it's going to be, and, and how you came to came to start the venture? Yeah. Well, I mean, it really came about just from being a fish fan for 30 plus years. And when you talk to friends over the years, it's apparent that everybody has a story about fish, whether it's how they discovered it or some other adventure or misadventure they had or just an amazing experience at a show, etc. Plus the band and the band insiders, everybody has a story and it's an undocumented history. And so I thought I could be part of bringing that history to life. And I really want to involve the fans as well. So like for every podcast that I give, I'm also going to, at the end of it, appeal to everyone uh, during every show to send in stories. And if they're cool, I'd like to interview them as well. So uh, people I've talked to already like have started a marijuana business, um, an entertainment company, uh, other bands. It's incredible what the fans are up to. And I'd like to bring that to life in the context of fish. So, like, even fish food and Ben and Jerry's would be fair game, you know? Because yeah. Trey and I stood in line at the very first Ben and Jerry's where either Ben or Jerry <laughs> served us free ice cream on their first day. That is awesome. I think what we're going to continue to do at, at HF Pod is to continue to bring you sort of the in depth discussions of sets and music and analyzing jams and talking to people about, you know, chord progressions and minor and major. And, um, and I think Tom's going to. St- going to stay sort of above that fray and, and talk more about the experiences and the, the culture. It's a good way of making a distinction right away is that, yeah, people will learn about me. I kind of, I'm not a set list guy. I'm not, I don't like too much going backwards, like going forwards in terms of, you know, writing songs, but also listening. But, you know, of course, Fish is 99% of what's, you know, in my phone. So I listen, <laughs> but I don't sort of listen and know, oh, yeah, that was March 21st, 1998. You know what I mean? Um, great show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, I think it's great because one of the things that I've taken from um, growing old with fish or, or adulting with fish is like all of us are now professionals or at least have careers or have children or families and are doing other things other than going on tour and going to high school or college or whatever we did when we first started. So I think it's, it's really interesting, Tom. Awesome. So, Tom, thanks thanks again for joining us to sort of, um, I think a lot of fans, a lot of our fans were excited to, to hear you answer some questions. Some of these are fan questions, some of them are ours, and I think all of them are going to be interesting to our listeners. So we'll just dive in. Um, I guess one, one thing, and I think this, I'll, I'll quote the, the question we put together is, 
at what point did you realize like holy shit this is actually a thing in terms of song you know songwriting and and partnering with trey as opposed to just like this is just a thing i do with my friend i could sort of trace it to one moment and that's probably uh although i want to say i'm still always just you know keeping up we're trying to always keep that vibe of just writing songs with my friend that's like one of the big things uh defining ways of uh, that trey and i sort of describe our relationship is that we're still having fun writing songs and we're going to do it you know whether there's a fish or not um but uh i remember a 23 east in ardmore ardmore pa and this was uh oh, yeah. 1989 um trey in his car because they they drove their own cars back then to gigs had me come you know into his car before the show and he played me this uh rough mix of um lawn boy the album lawn boy and mm -hmm. i remember thinking oh my god this is sort of like a real sounding album and he played me my three songs on there are lawn boy squirming coil and bouncing around the room and i remember thinking like with a little bit of work i could have you know improved the songs a bit and i started thinking a little bit more about the craft and getting songs on albums that sort of became a thing for me where it wasn't before um and uh working more directly with trey um, it, the timing there also happened to be right around uh, maybe a little bit later, 91, 92, when they were playing bigger and bigger places. So it did start getting more real. Uh, but again, Trey and I are committed to keeping the same sense of humor. And that remains and, uh, you know, possibly a little bit different than you find in other bands. Well, that's pretty cool. And so keeping with that, you guys, you take these uh, like songwriting vacations, right, where you hole up in a house and you know, the mountains or at the beach or what have you, you know, they started probably in the mid nineties. Is there like a lot of undeveloped or underdeveloped material that still exists from those previous sessions? Right. So, uh, 97 was when we first started really organizing the, um, the songwriting trips. Okay. And there was a series of barns that, um, that Beth, uh, Montori fish's longest employed employee, rented for us and she would have Paul Languedoc and, and uh, Pete Carini go to the, the farmhouses and put what became what we called Rubber Jungle, which is Trey's mobile recording studio. And we, we honed it over the years. And it was really Paul Languedoc who came up with the first road case of, uh, you know, some, some uh, cool EQs, um, an ADAT, I guess, uh, eight track recorder and a cool mixing board. And um, then he would set up a guitar station, a bass station, a, a drum station, a couple of vocal stations, and of course, Trey's guitars. And he would have it all mic'd and ready to go. So we could sort of press play and tweak one button on the mixer and jump to a different station. And this, of course, benefited Trey more than, more than I because <laughs> he's the multi-instrumentalist. But every now and then I would sit down on drums and stuff and, and you know, create create a jam and a vibe that way. Um, but yeah, so is there a trove of undeveloped songs? Kind of. I mean, the best ones from the sessions are, were obvious. And uh, there's right. always a few, though, that are on the cusp. One that comes to mind right now, uh, which has almost made a couple of the last album sessions, um, is like a through the looking glass kind of lyrics, Lewis Carroll inspired. Um, uh, and that one actually is called Through the Polished Glass. Um, cool. But also a few of those songs that didn't become fish songs made it onto my SoundCloud uh, under Thunderburn, not Bird Burn. Right. Nice. 
listen to some of those. And Rubber Jungle, Trey used that as uh, the name for a record label, at least for a time. I'm not sure if he's still got that, but for some of his uh, solo projects records say he used rubber jungle records i believe yeah and i think that was inspired by the studio cool and so if the sessions kind of change do you guys still doing it more or less the same way when you get together or uh, other than maybe new tech or that kind of thing showing up location yeah um well so there was a while where trey we would go to trey's house um he had a real cool place at palisades and that was, uh, uh, you know, overlooking the Hudson River. But in terms of change, do you mean like getting older kind of stuff? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you know, find you spend more time uh, sitting around and drinking coffee and shooting the <laughs> shit or, uh, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, more definitely. Time or... Much more coffee, much less beer, much less tequila. Sure. No uh, extracurricular activity, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but getting older is sort of a, a different thing, not in the sense of having to be in bed by 10 o'clock, but more what are your interests and priorities that drive you? Who are you writing for? What kind of song do you want to write? And these are things that Trey and I don't necessarily vocalize, but they're the reason a song like Joy, for example, gets written. That's about daughters and sharing the joy of having them and the joy of being dads together, you know, which created the concept. And that song can't happen really when, when we're in our 20s. No, naturally. And you guys find find yourselves, you say you don't talk about it, so you guys have kind of moved roughly in step with these kinds of changes, yeah. shifts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we talk about it. We, we self-analyze, but self-analyzation is sort of uh, often a damper on creativity. And yeah. so we right. try not to do it during a session. And then, you know, after the session's over... There's no reason to do it, so we don't really do <laughs> end, up, <laughs> right. end up doing it. But uh, it's funny that uh, I was just talking about, like, you know, dads, and and I, I literally was talking about dad rock, and I want to debunk the dad rock concept, but I, I think I might be bunk, bunking it instead. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're responsible for Fish becoming dad rock. Well, you know, at least you're becoming a dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, but absolutely. So many of us fans have become dads as well. So, yes. uh, you know, what totally kind of worth it. So we parents. might be responsible yes. too. <laughs> exactly. well, we'll All of it. us. The dads should like the dad rock them. Yeah, yeah it seems, it's natural. <laughs> you just we, we have to debunk that getting old is bad. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, you, you mentioned earlier a little bit um, about that you still want to keep it fun and jovial and, and, you know, you guys are just get together to, to get together because you enjoy each other. Um, do you ever hear or take personally the criticism that the lyrics aren't, um, I, I don't know how to say this and I don't mean for it to be a heavy hitting question or anything, but one of the things I always find myself defending, you know, with fish shows is just, just music and then the lyrics don't make any sense. I'm like, they totally make sense. You got to listen more, and you got to be part of the part of the scene, I guess. Do you, do you ever find yourself defending the lyrics? Your um, lyrics. Every now and then, like online, I I find myself sort of I'll peruse like a lyric thread, and you know I'll be alternately insulted and then at the same time complimented by the next person. Uh, I kind of try to stay out of that fray, but um, but yeah, I mean I get it. Um, I'm very different, I guess. Uh, you know, take whichever lyricist you want who's 
become semi-famous or, or extremely famous and put my lyrics next to them. And they're definitely uh, a little off the wall uh, in some cases. Um, but n no, I, I, you know, I, I've gotten over, I've gotten over it for the most part. You get a thick skin in terms of the criticism. And the thing for me is just knowing that, you know, uh, Trey really liked my stuff and I was writing a lot of stuff and for whatever reason, like it resonated with Trey. And so that was kind of who I was writing for a lot in, in a lot of cases. It's all that matters, right? <laughs> um, it, seemed, it seemed to be, yeah. And, and you know, we, we really came from a, you know, writing in eighth grade together. We were trying to make our friend Aaron Wolf laugh, you know? Yeah. Or, or when Aaron and I wrote Wilson, we were trying to make Trey laugh. That was kind of the, you know, cool. that, yeah. that was the goal. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And, that's and in a way, that kind of stayed, stayed there. Yeah, Trey says he still has like he, he still smiles or chuckles when he sings those first couple of lines of Wilson. So that's pretty cool. Oh, um, <laughs> There's others too. Yeah. Like I sometimes oh, yeah. cringe during Stash, and then Trey, you know, during like you know, uh, you know, a garden dependent it. on whales or whatever, and uh, sometimes think like if I just changed one word, you know. But uh, Trey then <laughs> will tell me. Are you kidding, man? That's those are my favorite lyrics of all time. That kind of thing. Uh, so whenever yeah. I'm sort of cringing out there, like chalk dust torture, some uh, I forget. There's one line in there that that sort of doesn't sit right with me. Uh, Trey will say, "Are you kidding? That's my favorite line." You know, he always does that. Mm -hmm. So no, oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so you used to, uh, if I remember correctly, used to send Trey lyrics, notebooks, or what have you. I think I've read that in previous interviews, and then he would kind of select what suited what he was writing or what what resonated with him do you guys still do any of that you know maybe via email or what have you um and i guess the the follow-up question is you know there's there's stuff that he didn't select for whatever reason that day or that week that month um and uh would you say there was a you know what kind of percentage of that there is is there out there and you know how does that can you detach from the things that you've sent him that just didn't click or? Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting question. It brings to brings sort of two parts to me in a way uh, that I could answer that way in two parts. One is uh, ownership. And this isn't really your question, but I want to talk about it because in terms of ownership of a song, um, Trey's always been way more generous than I always thought he needed to be about that sort of thing. He could do 99% of the work and I could write three or four lines, and it would still be an Anastasio Marshall song. And that kind of stems from the 50% words, 50% music songwriter model thing. It's like a right. tradition. You know, if you write a great set of words and need someone to write music for you, he'll own half the song. Mm -hmm. And likewise, if you write a really great song and need some words, you go down to Nashville and get someone to write some words. Now that person owns half the song. It's just sort of a, yep. a thing that happened and Trey always honored. Um, and that also... That stems from the Beatles. Like the the most immediate example that jumps to mind is the Beatles. Trey's are my favorite band, hands down. Um, all of Paul and John's songs are credited Lennon and McCartney. But um, you know the fans know who wrote it. Like Martha, my dear, is one hundred percent Paul, right? And yet, yep. uh, Ballad of John and Yoko is about John, you know, uh, running around Europe trying to get married or get a marriage license with Yoko and. And encountering that, you know, that adventure, and and encountering uh, various, you know, misadventures along the way, it's pure John, um, and and yet it's incredible that you look at those and they're Lennon McCartney, 
the cool thing about that song for me has always been that John showed up at the studio after that whole de- debacle. And uh, if you listen to the words, every bit of it's true. And, and I love that song. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Yeah, um, I love it. And, and, and he showed up at Apple Studios uh, ready to record the song. And uh, Paul and he had been completely like, like enemies mm-hmm. uh, at this point. And he showed up to the studio and late at night hoping to be, you know, get some time alone with the record, the, you know, the multi-track machine. And Paul was in the studio and he played it for him. And it was like old times again. Paul played bass, drums, piano, and sang the amazing signature harmony. Um, you know, the way things are going, yeah. you're going to crucify me. And, and, you know, the song wouldn't have been the same without him there. And so it just goes to show. But that's about ownership. You know, Trey's always you know, way, way more friendlier than he has to be there. But you asked about creatively and like how how it feels if Trey might chop a bit of a song up. And and I have a very easy answer is that I'm I'm thrilled about it. You know, like back in the I, I already mentioned uh, Stash and Chalk Dust. Those two are good examples. Trey grabbed lyrics um, that I had sent him prior, you know, for this express purpose. Um, and would call me later with the song. And uh, it's just Trey, no Tom. He just has the sheet of lyrics to go by. Uh, and he wrote those songs. And there's never been any doubt in my mind who the light bringer <laughs> in this songwriting right. relationship is. So I've just been incredibly happy to be part of it. So when he calls me up and says, hey, I wrote a song with your words, believe me, I'm excited, honored, and beyond happy. Terrific. Yeah, that's really great. And, and tell us a little bit about um, like the work ethic. I, I always describe Trey as, he's, I mean, he seems like he's hyperactive. He always wants to do something and, you know, he always wants more notes and Mike's always telling him less notes. Do, do you, is he, it, when he's into it, is he, is he just firing all cylinders, you know, and, and things are just flying off the top of his head and into the guitar or do you guys, it's, does it take a while or what? Oh God, it's exactly that way, but that you described it just now, but even more like, you know, with two turbochargers on, he doesn't sleep. Um, so like there was a time when he was learning guitar, he was already like better than any guitarist I knew. And this is like way back, like 10th grade, he picked up the guitar and could play, but then he like would answer the phone with the guitar and he would play you, uh, his answers, you know, as he's, as he's, uh, talking to you, he'll, he'd be playing along and if he's watching TV, he's got the damn guitar and he's like playing along with the, the music in the background of the of the of the movie or the, the theme show. He's he's like that. So, yeah, for songwriting sessions, sleep doesn't matter. The work ethic is just like go. It's just one speed and it's full. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. What, yeah. what was the movie where they kept they kept showing clips of Trey going, let's just play a little bit. Let's just play a little bit. There was a. Uh... I don't think it was bittersweet, but he's like, let's, let's just play. Let's just play for a little bit. And I was like, all right, dude, exactly. That's, yeah, that's totally, there's no chilling out. It's just that. And it's like, you know, uh, golden retriever or whatever, like what's the, <laughs> even like a, a greyhound, you know, a skidded, a more skittish dog than a, than a golden. Yeah, golden is yeah. more mellow, like a yep. stoned greyhound. But once you get a greyhound <laughs> running, you can't stop it. You can't so stop that it. sounds like that's a true. good analogy too. Yes. All well, right. we'll go with that. I wanted to just, just from a fan perspective, like all of us, you know, what we're bringing from this podcast is the fan perspective. Obviously, the three of us, Jonathan, Brad, and I are fish fans, and we're fans of yours, Tom, as as a extended member of the of the band. Um, I'm curious, just to kind of look at it from a fan base perspective, 
and and a scene perspective, I guess, like what's been your overall kind of experience with the fish scene as a as a member and an observer and a you know a member of both, I guess, of the band and of the scene. And are there songs that that we should think about differently, like given your perspective on the fish scene itself? I know, <laughs> birds, I think Birds of a Feather I've read is like sort of you know somewhat about the scene, but I'd just be curious about your perspective on being part of both the scene and the band a little bit, and right. and what that how that's affected your songwriting as it's as it's as the scene has blown up. Right, and if if Birds of a Feather is taken to be like a, a my negative statement about the scene, I hope it's not because. It, it wasn't really meant that way. Um, I guess it comes off a tiny bit that way, but not really. No, uh, you know, in terms of my experience with the scene, um, it's been nothing but, like, phenomenally gracious people and, like, some of the, you know, most amazing friends I have I met through the scene. Um, and I just love people, uh, you know, in the audience are extre- extremely respectful and friendly you know i've had a couple people say hey marshall your lyrics suck or whatever <laughs> but then like you know three seconds later their friends will like slap him in the face and he'll turn around and go i didn't really mean it i love your you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh i got married to waste uh, oh yeah oh god i get that <laughs> dude that is that one happens to be and i i mean i love hearing it but you know i hear it so so much and it's incredible lots of people out there married to waste i hope your marriages are going well <laughs> um but 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 so, yeah, so Birds of a Feather, that one kind of has a scene component. And, of course, uh, Down with Disease with a Thousand Barefoot Children dancing on my lawn. Apart from that, I don't, you know, nothing really jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. I, I write about concepts I'm mm-hmm. obsessing on at the time, something I've read or heard or seen. I don't think, I think I'm bringing the concepts to the audience rather than writing about them, nice. if that makes sense. Yep. Well, that should, that should debunk a few blogs out there. Exactly. That's good. I think there's yeah, people are curious. Yeah, exactly. I'm debunking and bunking this yeah. uh, this yeah. interview. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. We we've got it all here. Um, <laughs> so uh Tom, you know, I looked on Wikipedia of course, because that's what all good um interviewers do. And it says <laughs> it credits you with more than ninety five original original fish songs. Are are do you write with the other band members or for them or just send them to Trey and Trey kind of lets them sing the lyrics or how, how's that work? Um, so the songs that are credited that have my name and the rest of the band, mm-hmm. that's one of those scene scenarios where um, my lyrics are like in the room as they've written like a rogue or, or, or something along those lines uh, or a MoMA dance. Um, but uh, in, in terms of working one-on-one with any of the band members, um, I think indirectly I've sent Mike lyrics and nothing kind of came from them uh, and nothing, no blame coming from me. You know, I didn't follow up or whatever. The same thing may have happened with Paige. I believe over, you know, 30 years, lots of combinations and permutations mm-hmm, occur. Mm-hmm. Paige and I have talked about writing songs gotcha. before. We kind of haven't. One-on-one, though, Fish, uh, I remember being at Trey's, first house not the, not the one he's in now and not well he, he sold that one too uh now he's just in new york but his first vermont house fish and i were there alone and we wrote and we <laughs> we we did other things <laughs> uh, but <laughs> can't imagine but but we had uh oh god just some tremendously awful songs and and when trey 
Trey showed up, he pressed play, and you know, literally was on his on his back holding his stomach. I hope that <laughs> tape is somewhere and will surface at some point. Some oh, of those were hilarious, but I have no idea what the hell they were. Maybe in the box set, like LP7 in the box yes. set. Yes, go out and buy LP7 because yeah. that's all <laughs> yeah. just Fishman and Tom stoned and writing songs and, and writhing around in the snow. That's awesome. Also, like also includes ass-handed. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be on the new one, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, could well be. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Ask Bob Ezrin. We, um, may, we may know by the time this comes out, actually. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, good point. Good point. Well, I, th- I think, Tom, we don't, you know, we're all huge fans of, of Trey and we're so happy that he's where he is. And this podcast is about interviewing you, you not about Trey. But um, I'm just curious from like a best friend perspective, like, during those years, just how, you know, if there's any observations from you or, or lessons from you and kind of how that whole period went, because obviously there was a period where your relationship with him probably changed and his relationship with the band and all of us changed. So I think it, it is part of the history, but we don't we don't obviously want to dwell on it for too long. The dark period kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, anyone who has a friend or family member going through addiction or who went through it or they know. It, it feels like it's a losing battle with with only one in, inevitable conclusion. Of course, it doesn't have to end that way, and happily many don't, but it can be so incredibly dark. You know, rehab isn't working, uh, friends are getting let down, thoughtless behavior, a consistent struggle to get high and forget or leave behind anything good, no matter how important to the actual person, you know, the previous person, not the new one who's mm-hmm. taken over. But on top of all this, I mean, I so, uh, you know, I had all that, and I don't know how much I should should delve into that. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been very uh, forthcoming with regard to that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, all I can say is, you know, we had the good outcome, and it was hard fucking work on his part and his family's part and, and friends and everything. Um, and just I thank, you know, who, the heavens, whoever whoever there is to thank up there that it worked out this way. But one thing that happened and, and the thing that luckily didn't get left behind, uh, was music. Trey loved writing and recording, you know, even, even in in the darkest state. And so I was up always, I was up for it. And, and some of these, you know, they got messy or whatever, but everyone still yielded some great music. And I'm really just so happy to have my friend back. Yeah. Tom, I know that you you guys stayed in contact, and I, it was an interview that we read earlier um, about you know the backwards down the number line where that came from. But how much did did you have communication with him, and did he have communication with everybody during that those eighteen months or however long it was? I don't know how it works with everyone, but I I don't know how it could have worked with Trey if he didn't get an apartment there because so he got a place in Saratoga right next to the courtroom because he basically part of the the agreement that he had with his drug court was all these meetings and you have to be on time for the meeting. I think it was sort of publicized that the couple of times he sort of got on the wrong side of that was because he missed something by 10 minutes or something, right. you know? So like everything's about making, keeping your appointments uh, with this kind of program. So your, your time is regulated, your appointments are regulated and uh, also it, the idea that, you know, you're, you're kind of leaving behind the old version of yourself. And so um, I was under the impression and his father uh, kind of told me that I wasn't entirely correct about it. But 
I was under the impression that for a while he was unreachable entirely by anyone um, and that there was a list perhaps of people that were approved. And I bumped into his father and this is, you know, well into the program and I really hadn't talked to Trey and I thought it was, you know, court mandated, but it wasn't necessarily court mandated, I found out later. But also it was just, you know, it was Trey trying to make a big change in his life mandated, right? So uh, when I finally did reach out, it was because, uh, you know, Trey wasn't, he didn't have a phone anymore. And, uh, you know, he had to say goodbye to his entire list, you know, his contact list on his phone. Trey's dad gave me his email. And so I thought I would just give it a shot and sent him that, sent him those lyrics. And it was one of those incredible, like, happy moments that reminded me of the 1980s again, where suddenly Trey would be calling with a, a, a song on my answering machine, you know, back uh, when we had answering machines. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it was it was that song. It was Backwards Down the Number Line. And it's a phenomenal version. I think it's on my SoundCloud. Man, that's heavy. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally great. Reached out across the void and, and found Trey again. And, and we could still we could still write. <laughs> it actually is a defense to me punching people when they bitch about the, like the ripcord in the number line. Like I actually, pun- <laughs> yeah. I actually punch them in the nose and then I get arrested and it's a defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, judges go for it though because how can you not be uh, moved by that story? It's it's yeah. it's pretty great, and we're all very happy on various levels uh, that you guys were able to reconnect with that. You've spent some time out there uh, on the road with them. I mean, I, I know for a long time you worked a day job and you were raising your family, but there are also times where you got out and you went to Europe, I believe. Yeah, back then when the band was like, they had one bus. Uh, now they have, you know, each of them has a family bus. But back then I would call up Trey and there wouldn't be like a decision making committee or, or anything back then. It was kind of like, I would say, hey, Trey, can I get on the bus from Hartford to, you know, Philadelphia? And he would go, sure. And it would get on the bus. And I think that's kind of what happened with Europe. Was it 97? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Trey said, hey, I'm, we're, we're going to tour in Europe. And I said, holy shit, can I come kind of thing? Like, <laughs> and I think Trey, you know, right away assumed that meant on the bus with them. And thank God, because I <laughs> you know, had that amazing, beautiful, I think I did both or, or three tours Two 97s and a 98, if I recall, mm-hmm. uh, partially, you know, I wasn't with them the whole time, but I, would, I was able to sample a, a chunk of each of those three tours. And Lovely. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. Did you, want to hear, uh, did you want to hear a story about that? Well, <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, if you're offering. Now that we're, I mean, because we're all here on the internet, you know, might as well. <laughs> well, it's just, I'd like to describe a little bit about the European scenario kind of at least my take on the difference of the you know the touring in the states versus touring there over there it seemed like the promoters wanted the band to party with them and they would have after the shows they would have really really cool places for the bands to go and they were inevitably you know an awesome nightclub and over in europe the nightclubs were like just getting started roughly at the time that fish would be finishing their concert and uh you know, I'm not any kind of a dancer, but there I was with the band and, and anyone who was with the band just writhing in a completely packed 
um, you know, definitely breaking 600 fire code violation uh, nightclub kind of place, and and just having the most amazing writhing, amazing. <laughs> writhing, yeah, seething, uh, thrashing like sharks. Um, and uh, funny thing, like so, the the very first time I, I got over there was in Ireland, and uh, I think they had two shows there. So the second night someone had the unenviable job of getting like the band and, and me and some other people from one of those nightclubs onto the bus because we had to get on a particular ferry to England overnight. And uh, unluckily, some uh, Irish females wound up on the bus with us. And I kind of remember thinking like, are you sure you want to be on this <laughs> on this bus? Because we're not going to be, you're not going to wake up where you, uh, you know, got on the bus. Uh, that they, they don't have any idea that they're going to wake up in England and the party is going full tilt. And I have to say that this happened and I can't even believe it happened. It was raining and the highways there aren't like ours, which just are straight for 70 miles. Right. These go around turns and some person, and it's a person that you guys might know, um, but he's going <laughs> to remain nameless, went out the front party because the bus had two parties on it the front and back and and when i say he went out he went on the roof of the bus out the skylight and traveled and i'm not really sure how uh down the the roof of the bus and came in the back skylight to the back party and oh man it, yeah it's a death defying wow. incredibly stupid thing but that was sort of the, the, the next level of, of party that we were encountering over there. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome you guys are partying with James Bond. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah the uh, guy had a wingsuit on, so he was cool if he fell off. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Back to songwriting here for a second. Is it possible for you to pick a, a couple of songs, one, two, five, that you're most proud of for whatever reason? Are there some that... You know, they, they resonate with you and you're most pleased with them. Possibly that changes year to year. Well, one we already mentioned that doesn't change. And I, I'm just so proud of Waste. Uh, Trey and I wrote it at the Cayman Islands. And it was one of those where we were in the version that that we have that appears on uh, Trampled by Lambs and Pecked by the Dove, which is the sessions. The original very first version of Waste was recorded at the Cayman Islands. And you can hear Trey say, this is going to be... Uh, I think I think the word it's not cheese. This is gonna uh, something like this is gonna be a joke, but let's try it anyway. And he presses record, and we do the version, and we just sing it live because we don't have any overdubbing capability. And it's uh, the the conversation we were having at the time during waste was we were right on the edge of what you'd call cheese in a way, or I don't know, pop or, or something. But you got to get close to something. To, to uncover you know the magic sometimes and and I think waste got right there and uh, uh, you know earlier in this uh, interview you guys had even said about how it's the the marriage song mm -hmm. so for that reason that people are like electing to have it you know commemorate arguably their most important day I love waste and I love it live too I'll take it anytime and it never interrupts the, the flow for me. <laughs> is, is, is the word you were looking for a uh, schmaltz? Is that the word? I, uh, I love yeah. waste. Well, I'm not, I'm not knocking the song here. Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't, my Yiddish is, is, is not so good, <laughs> but, but yes, that's the word. <laughs> so the next song I'll, I'll say that I'm proud of is a new one and it's coming up. It hasn't been played so much this tour. In fact, Ooh. if at all is shade. 
And nice. uh, when Trey and I wrote it, we kind of said, this is waste all grown up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it, it really, um, uh, maybe that's all I need to say about that one. Mm-hmm. That one's just, uh, yeah, it's waste all grown up. And, and I can't wait to hear if, if there's a version of it on the album. We're going to know, we're going to know soon. Funny thing is the album, what Trey tells me, has like 30 songs vying for 10 slots or something like wow. that. So some songs aren't going to make it that that possibly, you know, some people think should. Those might come out in some other way. Who knows? And then, of course, Pebbles and Marbles and Walls of the Cave, both are songs that I wrote uh, respectively for my daughter and my son. Pebbles and Marbles is really kind of one of my favorite, favorite fish songs of all time. And uh, Walls of the Cave as well. Uh, I love that one. Uh, Trey wrote that. He was on piano, and I was pressing, uh, I was pressing pause and record, pause and record, as he kind of constructed that intro. Mm. And uh, we did the same for Vultures, kind of Trey on piano, me on, on pause record. Wow, nice, cool. <laughs> that was my instrument. That's a really cool walls and the walls intro is. You can totally hear that. Right. See that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And for the record, um, RJ hates round room. It's not true. I don't know if you guys can be crazy. friends. It's crazy. We just we just punched each other. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> well, no, I, I I have talked before about how like I just I because I came of age during like the set one closer being Run Like an Antelope or David Bowie or Split Open and Melt, and then you know went through the phase of having Walls of the Cave or Pebbles and Marvels <laughs> the first set. So even it, zero, yeah, 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 exactly. So it kind of yeah. like, took me a while to adjust, but have you um, adjusted? I think so. Yeah, I mean, Walls of the Cave is such a raging song because of the oh, multiple man. parts that I've gotten used to it. But I think, um, you know, I'm always, as we all are, like going back to our, we're nostalgic for our roots, I guess. I, I, could, um, go, I could go. For, I've been seeing them longer than you, RJ, and I could go for Pebbles sure. and Marbles any day. Yes, well, but I, I immediately the straw man. identified the uh, the dad <laughs> thing with that. You know, I, I I recognized where you were going with that song, and it. Re- worked for me I'm, so. I'm glad some people think it you know and and it works equally well for you know it could just be for uh anyone who inspires you mm-hmm. yeah it's great well, let's let, so let's end on a, a like light note do a couple <laughs> couple quick questions for you tom I, I i'll start um you're a noticeable person at a fish show if, if people don't know you're pretty tall so i'm six six yeah. six six I'm, which is oh insane. wow yeah. yeah, Tom yeah. towers over me. I'm six two, so you're noticeable. I'm sure people say a lot of stuff to you at fish shows. What's like the funniest thing that you've heard from someone at a fish show? It's funny. My, my wife and I were just actually talking about people saying stuff at fish shows. She was uh, maybe this will I'll substitute the answer to be what what happens to her. Um, I think she leaves her laminate out, and I tend to tuck mine away. The laminate being the like all access backstage pass nice. kind of thing, and uh, she gets where. Where can I get one of those? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good she, question. Yeah, yeah. she's inquiry. You know, you can marry the the songwriter or uh, of fish. Um, <laughs> she also she also has had. Can I borrow that? Uh, I'll bring it right back. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, but but sort of the most, yeah. uh, almost the most outrageous. And I hope, in a way, the person. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call her out. The person who's responsible for this behavior knows who she is. But um, my wife, another thing that happened to my wife, uh, this person was like dancing, like wook slime dancing all over her. <laughs> and it's <was> like... <laughs> riding, like, wook riding. Yes, miserable, <laughs> miserable dancing and like 
you know, total space invasion and, uh, you know, not respecting other person's space, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out this person is like a huge good friend of Fishman's and the band's. And um, when kind of reintroduced to uh, her as Tom Marshall's wife, she said, oh, if I had only known who you were, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, and we're like, <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was so <laughs> like outrageous. Like, you know, there's so much, uh, there's so many things that my wife wanted to say yeah. you know, that nothing, just yeah. nothing could come out of her mouth. Oh, you're not you a just, Yeah, if you weren't just an average human, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have been an asshole to you. Right, right. Right. I treat people different based on their yeah. on, on who they know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's hopefully the minority of, of the fans out there. Um, yes. Those are good. Those yes. are good. Yes. So uh, let me let me ask the next one then. Um, it kind of goes to my earlier question a little bit, but what what do you think you get the what are the songs that you get the most shit for, do you think? Uh, I can narrow just oh, I can narrow it to song. Song. How about what song do I get the most shit for <laughs> fair, like fair. nowadays? Let uh-huh. me just do that one. Uh-huh. And it's one you mentioned already. It's it is backwards down the number line. Nice. But I want to say I want to say that the 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 interaction I get from people about it, I would say is ninety percent love and ten percent shit. And they really when it's shit, they really really actively come after me. And these. Are- <laughs> <laughs> These are like my best friends. And I think it's yeah. like some latent, like, um, you know, uh, homophobia or something. Mm-hmm. They were too worried, too scared that, like, grown men can express an emotion yep. to right. each other or right. something. And it, like, yes. might, might you know, activate some latent, you know, thing in themselves right. yeah. or something. But uh, I'm calling out my friend Liz oh, as, as, as the biggest, biggest, like, you know, hellbringer when that song comes on. Uh, I my guarantee friends. I've got worse friends about that song. <laughs> <laughs> They're wrong though, too. It's, it's not the lyrics. It's it's like the the abrupt beginning, right? No, no, no. It's the lyrics. It's the lyrics. <laughs> people people don't want to hear about like a dude whispering in another dude's ear. That's <laughs> fine. Oh man, my, my my response often is, "I'm sorry that you had to listen to your favorite band play one of their favorite songs." You know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, Jonathan. As a as a as the most um, active audiophile, maybe among us, um, or music listener, is that what an audiophile is? Anyway, yeah. okay. <laughs> as, as the as the person who listens to the well, I think Jonathan listens to the widest variety of music among the three of us. Probably he's a variety. He's a variety file. Variety file. Okay. Jonathan, why don't you why don't you why don't you jump on that last one? Well, uh, Tom, what, what else? Uh, what, what are you listening to these days aside from fish? It's so uh, that that question. It's weird. It's, I I I can't answer it right now because I don't think I am listening to anything. I'm listening to podcasts. <laughs> Honestly, okay? like like driving my car, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, I will say though that I have this really awesome Radiohead uh, set list uh, playlist that I exercise to um, the song uh, Rev- Revelator. Revelator. Mm-hmm. Revelator. I can't. I, I, I mispronounce it just because I've only read it. I've never heard it. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I just sort of worked out to it today. It began my walk. My my workout daily is like a four mile walk, five mile walk. Cool. And uh, and it's. Basically, either a podcast in my headphones or Radiohead, and nice. I and I'm sad to say awesome. that I missed their last uh, their last tour here. But 
that's not going to happen again. Yeah. It's weird that you work out by crying, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great workout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't uh, working yeah, out like kidding. trying to work out your feelings? Isn't yeah. that what workout means? <laughs> just... Requires extra hydration, though. Yeah, exactly. No, I love – to follow up with Jonathan's question, did you – have you listened to last night's show? Uh, no. No, no. I'm not. Okay. A couch tour now and then and, uh, you know, usually stay pretty current. Um, I'll, I'll check out the, uh, set list to see if anything incredibly wacky happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I often read, you know, people's reviews of it, but this one I haven't listened to and I'm kind of waiting to listen to it with a pal of mine. Cool. That's, that's fun. So Jonathan, follow up with your hard hitter. Oh, your well, gotcha. so you mentioned, po- uh, webcasts and, uh, I, I, Pose the what would you ask Tom Marshall question to some folks, and one of them got back with this one. And I I have to have to read this to you for Dave. And it, the question is: Is there a friends and family private webcast that you have access to that possibly even runs when the rest of us people can't have access? Oh my God! Um, well, let me answer that one with a hypothetical. Imagine <laughs> if there were. Do you think that it would? be a secret and do you think that if the person you know who had access to it would be allowed to tell if there were one <laughs> just hypothetical uh, so the answers are yes yeah. and no so right. <laughs> amazing that's a good way to that's a good way to, to wrap up the discussion tom thanks so much for your time and thanks for um having me in your in your home with your awesome family and and to record this we really appreciate you taking the time and are so excited about the launch of under the scales i think it's going to be in a really unique view into uh fish culture and 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 Mm. and fish in general and i think we're we're all super excited for you and thanks so much for coming on this podcast to chat with us oh gosh well my my thanks to you you're welcome but uh really my like i said before uh, i want to thank you guys and i'm kind of proud to be you know we have gone through a couple fish podcasts i think you guys are like the third there were two Mm -hmm. others Mm -hmm. and uh those two are gone for various reasons, and uh, I think we're going to be the only two fish podcasts on there. So I'm glad that we're sister casts and not enemy casts. <laughs> yes, the treaty, the treaty of um, I don't even that you know. won't sign. That you won't sign. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Just blood. I just I'll put sign, my blood I'll on. Sign for these guys. It's cool. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tom, for joining yeah, us. Absolutely, really fun. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, and thank you, RJ. All right, thanks for listening to our interview with Tom Marshall. We're going to leave you with a couple uh, songs. Definitely check out Under the Scales, which will be available on uh, Monday, November seventh. Follow us on Twitter at HF Pod, and you can subscribe on iTunes and every other service where you can get podcasts. Send us questions, comments, feedback, and um, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back uh, next in the next week or so with a fall tour recap from. this great fall tour of 2016. So everyone uh, enjoy and keep on rocking. Hey, we're Jen and Jess, hosts of the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara. And we're excited to tell you about Strivectin's new multi-action clear collection, which starts clearing acne blemishes in just one week. It's a three-step acne control system, cleanser, toner, and treatment lotion that's clinically shown to improve the look of acne and post-blemish marks without disrupting the skin's barrier. Visit Strivectin.com to learn more about the new Strivectin multi-action clear collection. Subscribe to emails and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's Strivectin.com. What is a city without its music? 
the legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We're going to do a song. Um, I'll we'll say one thing here. That Tom and I have been writing songs for uh, since probably like 7th or 8th grade. Which is a long time ago for us. Eight years? Like at least five years ago. So uh, a lot of the songs that I played tonight, a lot of the songs that were on the Ghost album and also these new songs were written in uh, there was seven days of writing that Tom and I did where we uh, locked ourselves in a, in a farmhouse in, in Vermont that's where that song of course Farmhouse came that was the, the first song of Northern Lights were at everything and, and uh, there's still more songs it was really a cool cool time for us but this one is, is uh, one that hasn't been played a lot uh, that we wrote at the farmhouse the same night that we wrote um, the farmhouse song Itself. I actually want to say uh, this is the first night that I've heard a lot of these songs, and actually, I have heard some of them over the phone, and they sound a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm here for the first time. So uh, I actually haven't really been wanting to play this one without Tom because we did it together with the harmonies. So it's called Sleep.
shine in some of my daughter's favorites. I'm together with you. I'm together with you. Just together we two. Just together we two. On the ocean so blue and shiny. I can't remember the thought I had. I'm just hoping that you can see. my spine I didn't tell you to walk that line And now we've crossed all the eyes Now we've crossed all the eyes And we dotted the T's And we dotted the T's On the ocean so blue and shiny I think a year then I take one off They have begun.
to side, my senses slide, avoiding my commands. One by one, they come undone. I fall into your hands. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020. 20-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.